if you are worried, you're living in the future. And if you are full of regret or depressed, you're living in the past. Wow. I believe that everything that we experience in our life happens in the right now. Welcome to the Live, Lead, Last podcast. I'm Lisa Duvall, and I'm joined by my intentional husband and co-host, James. Hey, everyone. Well, we mixed it up a bit for the intro today, but as always, we're really happy to be connecting with you wherever you are and whatever you're doing. I think podcasts are the ultimate multitasking tool. You can be exercising, driving, cleaning, or maybe some other activity and still be listening and learning. Hey, James, you just returned from a quick trip. Yeah, I just returned from going back to my home, Columbus, Ohio. Dad has been dealing with some health issues, so I was able to spend a couple days with my mom and dad and family, eat some Donato's pizza and Grater's ice cream, which is always great. It was a really good trip. And you got away for a couple days also, Lisa, with our daughter Addie, right? Yeah, when your 15-year-old daughter asks you to have mom and daughter weekend away, you do it. That girl, she keeps me young and laughing. Actually, she keeps us both young and yeah, laughing. Yeah, true. James, as you know, we have found when you take advantage of getaways, either the two of us getting away or us getting away with our kids, it creates space for great memories and allows opportunity for necessary conversations. So it was really sweet. That's cool. Okay, so a few weeks ago, you had a great conversation with a friend of ours, Philip Jackson. We have known Philip for around 15 years. He and his wife, Jackie, have two beautiful girls, and as a couple, they really are a power union. Philip is a podcaster, speaker, and chief commerce officer at Something Digital, a full-service e-commerce agency. Yeah, he has over 15 years of experience creating unique online customer experiences. He has both built and managed digital audiences for some of the world's most recognizable brands. Philip has an engaged global audience topping more than 100,000 monthly active listeners across four retail and digital commerce-focused content properties. All of that, James, is all the things I do not know how to do. <laughs> That's true. I love people, but computers and all e-commerce, it's, it's a stressor. So obviously, he's pretty brilliant. The topics you discussed during your conversation are really powerful, and I know they will be both encouraging and challenging for our listeners. So let's jump in. Hey, Phil, it's so great having you on the Live Lead Last podcast. Thanks so much for being a part of it, man. Yeah, of course. Well, thanks for having me. And uh, man, I'm really looking forward to sharing a little bit uh, with you. I, it's been a, a long time since we like kind of unpacked a story a little bit. I, we've known each other for a while, but uh, I, I can't wait to dig in a little bit. Yeah. So we've actually been friends for like 15 or 16 years. You and your wife, Jackie, actually started serving with me on the worship team at Christ Fellowship at our first multi-site campus back in 2005. And we've stayed connected since then. And your story is pretty amazing. So I actually want to jump right into your story. And it's super inspiring. And I'm excited for people to hear it. I want to tease it just a little bit about what can happen when somebody becomes very intentional about the way they live their life. You've actually lost 153 pounds, which by itself is super amazing. Correct me if I'm wrong. You didn't go like on the Biggest Loser program. <laughs> there was no miracle drug or surgery involved in it, right? This is no just dedication and intention that uh, really you reshaped your life. It's funny because for those who were closest to me through the process, I think it, it was this long, gradual, slow change that people sort of woke up one day and was like, whoa, what's going on with you? You're, you're like changing like right before our eyes. And then everybody wants to know, like, how'd you lose the weight? Yeah. And it's so funny because like everybody knows how you lose weight. Yeah. There's no, there's no secret. <laughs> That's true. 
Well, before you get into how you did it, I'd yeah. love if you can go back and just share a little bit of your story, some of the history yeah. that led up to the moment where you're like, I got to change things in my life. So just give us some context of how you got to the point where you know you knew you needed to change your life, lose some weight. And obviously there were some other things with that, right? Well, just a little bit about me. You know, I grew up in a Christian household. My dad was a deacon at First Baptist Church of Apopka in Central Florida up in Orlando suburbs. You know, my parents were very active in church. My mom taught Sunday school. So I grew up with a really strong relationship with God and present in my family and present in my in my home life. I sort of grew up with this idea I would be in full-time ministry. And it's so funny that I let the devil, very honestly and like transparently, sort of work in my life through a series of disappointments over the years with this idol I had of being in full-time ministry. And those series of disappointments sort of layered on over the years and created a lot of resentment in my life. And letting those resentments sort of build up and finally like actually addressing them in recovery programs, but letting those resentments build up in my heart eventually sort of made manifest in my body. (laughs) And like, I'm sure it's not that way for everybody, but it's this amazing story of having lost the weight and lost 153 pounds. But there is a little bit of a feeling of shame and regret and having gained it in the first place place and sort of letting myself get to that place. The the history really sort of begins with not having the healthiest relationship with food and not having the the healthiest relationship with self-medication over many years. I started in high school um, in a lot of stress in high school and gained a ton of weight in my uh, senior year of high school and never really got that under control going to Bible college uh, for a couple years and then, you know, being on the road with a a worship band. Very honestly, like being in relationships that were very accepting of me as like who I was, was like kind of enabling a little bit to kind of just perpetuate that cycle. It took a lot of things falling apart in my life to kind of bring me to that decision that something has to change or something has to give, or I'd kind of have to give in or give up. I had to make a decision in my head and then kind of commit to it in my heart um, that it was time to change. It's interesting you say that about self-medicating on food because a lot of times we think about self-medication and drugs or alcohol or any other form of addiction, but there's so many people who feed their need with, with food. And that's one of the reasons there's an obesity issue in the country and the world is there is this need for people to feel good. I think that has a huge piece of it. That led up to this point that you're like, okay, I'm 334 pounds or something at the time. Can you take us back to the moment that you were like, this has got to change. Life has to be different than this. And it wasn't just about your weight, right? There were some other things in life as well. So I I remember a moment where I realized it had to change, but that happened sort of a year and a half before I actually did anything about it. Mm. So I grew up as a kid with asthma and grew out of it. I was allergic to everything when I was 12, 13 years old, like <laughs> kind of always uh, having allergy attacks, that sort of thing. And having asthma was triggered by the allerg- allergies a lot. And it's so funny because it was when I was, I think, 35 and, and sort of nearing my the height of my weight gain where all of that came back all of a sudden. Oh, wow. I had this sort of realization going to the doctor and having a physical and him telling me I'm like quite overweight and telling me all the things I should do. My blood pressure was like 100 and, 180 over 75 or 80 or something like that. It was something crazy. But my blood pressure was sky high. My vision had deteriorated quite a bit. I had 
all of a sudden needed glasses and I kind of chalked it up to old age. I don't wear glasses anymore. So I think it, it all had something to do with blood pressure there. Uh, I was pre-diabetic. I was back on an inhaler for asthma and my allergies were kind of coming back. I couldn't walk up the stairs without, you know, without huffing and puffing and or like doing much of anything, to be honest with you. Every single thing that I did reminded me of the bondage that I was in. And it was like this constant thing. I mean, you carry weight around with you, obviously, right? Like it was this constant thing that sort of followed me around. So the realization came uh, at that doctor's appointment when, you know, they prescribed me an inhaler. But it was it was sort of solidified in my mind that I was I'm going to have to do something about it when I went to speak professionally at an event in Spain. And the plane ride there was very embarrassing in that I needed a, a seatbelt extension and the person next to me asked to be reseated. And when I got there, you know, every restaurant, the seats were a little too small for me to fit in. And it was this incredible, like, sort of reinforcement of, like, this intense shame of who I'd become and this, uh, this sort of resignation almost of do I just kind of give in to this and this is who I am? Is it too late for me to do anything about it? Tell us what you did because we can say everybody knows how to lose weight, but if that is true, everybody would do it. I always say common sense isn't common practice, right? Yeah, that's good. But you've done some things very intentionally. You not just lost weight, you've reshaped your life. How did you do it? Give us the nuts and bolts of, of what you did to transform yourself from being overweight, self-medicating into who you are today. It helps to understand where I was at the time on January 17th of 2017 when I decided like, okay, today's the day. We, uh, so Jackie and I, we've been married for oh, as I said, 17 years. I should know that right off the top of my <laughs> You head. should. 17 years. <laughs> uh, we were in full-time ministry for a long time and, you know, worship pastors at our church. You know, the self-medicating for me was food and, you know, be honest with you, a little bit of drink here and there. But Jackie has been very open about her recovery process in that she didn't realize that she had become dependent on alcohol it sort of grew into a problem that was unknown to me and sort of deepened over the course of a few years. And really it kind of came to a moment of having to have like a wake up call that something was wrong that we weren't addressing. One day, all of a sudden, we realized my health was on the rocks, then my marriage was on the rocks. And when I realized that we had a problem in our marriage, I became very concerned that folks in the church would find out and what they might think of us, that folks in, you know, in our friend circle would find out and and became very like ashamed of where we had gotten. And that's when the sort of cover up and the and the hiding started to try to conceal the problem and fix it on our own, which in itself is like a vicious cycle. The bondage that I was in physically was actually just an outgrowth of the emotional bondage that we'd been in for a long, long time and the spiritual bondage that I think caused all of it. I I really truly believe that came out of not having dealt with resentments from our childhood, resentments that came out of disappointments from unmet expectations over a series of many years and not ever having addressed those things and just stuff them down and sweep them under the rug and just kind of move on. When it all came crashing down and Jackie admitted she had a problem and she and I both went to recovery programs, when we started digging up those deep roots of hurts and resentments was when I finally got to 
a place of being ready to address the the physical health issue. So I had to get to a place to address the spiritual health and then admit to myself that we had problems in emotional health. And then I could get to the point where I could address the physical manifestation. I, I believe out of the abundance of the heart, all those things are made manifest in our outermost being. It was just an outward reflection of the inner condition of my heart. One of the really the purposes behind this podcast is really that we have one life. It's not segmented into your mm. emotional, your spiritual, your physical. You have one life that God's given. So you can't really distinguish like this is just a physical thing. No, that's tied to spiritual, tied to the emotional baggage that we carry around. And I think you said a really interesting thing there that, you know, when you guys started struggling, it sounds like you isolated. And what we find a lot of times with relationships, when couples get in trouble, they tend to isolate themselves from community. I think a lot of that is out of fear of how are people going to receive us? Fear of like, are people going to see us as hypocrites? Because we have these struggles, but the truth is we're human. Everybody has struggles, and if there's issues that are undealt with in our life, then it's going to affect the totality of our life. The very thing I was trying to prevent was the actual thing that I needed for healing and restoration. When everything came crashing down and it all came to light, I realized that there was this lie that I had bought into that people would reject me. And in reality, it caused people to accept us and love us and restore us. I wish we had never gotten to that place to begin with, but... I kind of wish it all had happened sooner because the healing would have happened sooner. Yeah. And I think that's really important too, because again, we can talk about productivity and disciplines and, and people can do things and they're going to be successful, but when there's not congruency between the outward and the inner character piece, those cracks are eventually going to show up and are going to cause real issues. Okay, so let's get into the nuts and bolts. Tell us what you did. How did you do it? Give us a little details. So the day that I decided to change the way that I eat started on January 17th, 2017. Jackie cooked a meal. It was some sort of fish with some fennel. I'll be honest with you, it might be the worst meal I've ever eaten in my whole life. It was not great. And so when you say fennel, that just says it all right there. <laughs> it's like very licorice fish, if you can yeah. imagine. It just didn't work for me that night. I remember going to sleep that night. I just skipped dinner. It was like that bad and waking up the next morning and being physically hungry. And I had sort of a moment where I realized I don't think I've been physically hungry in 10 years. Wow. I never really did the prolonged fasts. I never really like, I always found a way to fast something that would not cause me to like feel that hunger pang. And so I think that that was the first step was like not delaying the start or planning to start at some point in the future, but saying like, why not right now? That was the kickoff was one really, truly awful meal. Like that might've been the thing that sort of kicked me off, but I didn't really have a plan to follow. And so I spent a couple months trying to do keto, but after a couple months time, I realized this is not sustainable. I cannot live like this forever. Eventually I found an app called MyFitnessPal, which is really just a food journaling tool that has a lot of pre-programmed foods for calorie counting. I found that daily food journaling was very helpful for me and it was very cathartic because it was something tangible I could do every day to tell myself I was doing the plan. Even if I messed up, I was still journaling it. I wasn't hiding it for myself or like denying the fact that I messed up on a certain day. The thing that I was trying to do was track what I was eating and not necessarily influence the decisions I was making. 
you know, when you're 334 pounds and you want to lose a little bit of weight, it actually doesn't take very much. You, you know, you can still eat 3000 some calories a day and still lose weight because of the way your metabolism works. Yeah. So at the, at the beginning, I'm losing lots of weight because I'm like, oh, man, this is super easy. Why doesn't everybody lose weight? I should have done this a long time ago. <laughs> I didn't know I could eat McDonald's and still lose weight, you know? So it's, ex but that's true, <laughs> yeah. right? Like you could, you, you, so that was the first step for me. It's the beginning of what I, I consider to be like a virtuous cycle because these things all feed on each other. Eating correctly alone is not enough. Exercising on its own is not enough. And for me, spiritual discipline on its own apparently wasn't just enough to to get me into like that whole uh, mind, body, soul fitness that I'm in now. Yeah. Well, there's so much there, even on the tracking piece. Uh, I also use my fitness pal. It's such a great tool. And I'll put that in the show notes for everybody. But in any aspect of life, if you're wanting to get control over your finances, you have to track what you're doing. You know, what you can't measure, you can't manage. And That's so, right. and, you know, if you're not measuring the intake that you have on food and can't really manage uh, and calibrate, whether it's food, money, exercise, you know, I'm a huge believer in tracking pretty much everything. Okay, so we talked a little bit about tracking food. Let's get to the stuff that nobody wants to talk about. What was your <laughs> exercise <laughs> regimen? The app thing was working out really well for me. And so, and like I said, I was a couple months into the journey and I felt like I had formed a little bit of discipline. And I had a friend who was a runner who basically said like, anybody can be a runner. And I told him he was full of crap. <laughs> I said, I don't believe that to be true. Like there's genetics that come into play. Like there's all kinds of things that would prevent me from being a runner. I've never been athletic, not once in my life. So he's, he just suggests, he's like, I think you should try out this app. You like doing the app thing. You should check out Couch to 5K. It's like a run walk program that you do three days a week. And at the end of a nine week stretch, you should be able to run five kilometers. Now I couldn't have told you at the time that five kilometers is 3.1 miles, but that sounded insane to me to run one mile. Like I, I'm pretty sure I failed the mile test every time I ever did it in <laughs> elementary and, and high school. I've never been athletic. I just can't not stress that enough. But I thought I'd give it a shot. In March of 2017, I went on the first like run walk and it was awful. It felt terrible and I didn't like it at all. And then everything hurt afterwards. But you know what's really interesting? When I got home and I took a shower, I was way less prone to want to eat something bad to undo the work I had just done. I realized something in there that this is a really amazing accountability tool to myself. Not only do I have a plan that I can follow that tells me whether I'm doing good or not, but I have something to aspire to. So it gives me like a future goal, but not so future that it's unattainable. Like nine weeks is a pretty reasonable amount of time to see something improve. And I just kind of committed myself, I'm going to do this for nine weeks and see where it goes. And there were certainly days where it just wasn't working for me and it was like really hard and I felt like I just wanted to give up. But when you finish exercising, you kind of feel amazing. And, yeah. and, and so in my mind, it just reinforced the other good habit that I was trying to build. Uh, and I really truly believe that those things have to work sort of hand in hand. You can't do one in a sustained way without the other. So I've now heard the phrase, you can't outrun a bad diet. And I really believe that's that to be true. So that's sort of how it started. I remember my graduation date of Couch to 5K was, I believe, May 21st of 2017. After that, I realized if I can do this, I'll bet you I can do I can do something bigger. Yeah. You've ran at least one marathon now, right? Yeah. I've run a marathon distance a few times. Um, okay. I kept setting loftier goals. Right. Apparently, they have a 
couch to 10k app and then they have a half marathon <laughs> app and then they have a full marathon app and it took a couple years to get there but i ran my first full marathon distance a little over a year ago and never really interested okay. in like the competition aspect to it like it, it was more like i wanted to see where i could push myself not about the award not about yeah. like a trophy but more about like what where is my limit as a person like what can i do and i think those limits aren't just bodily physical limits because i'm starting to realize my body is capable of things I never thought possible. I think there's other limits that I'm running up against now, which I think are also fascinating. Like the amount of time that I could physically train is constrained by the amount of time I should be spending away from my family or the amount of time I should be focused on, you know, goals at work yeah. or investment in our church groups. And it's this really interesting thing that I like to think about where you put your time, what's invaluable to you, because you certainly can overinvest in that area too. That's awesome. Your father-in-law, who's a good friend of mine, also got you into a better sport of cycling, right? Yeah, it is. Well, much more expensive. Sport <laughs> it is much more expensive, but we keep saying we're going to go out for a ride sometime. So sometime we need to do that. <laughs> I do want to point one thing out here, which is the community aspect of these achievements. Running as a community has been such an amazing game changing thing for me because honestly, having other people that you can do this with, yeah, I, I really truly believe like we are better together as people and we will go further together as people and we rely on each other in many, many ways. Yeah. I find that the things that I, I spend a lot of time in now, especially in like physical sport or activity are those things that are community driven, cycling and running. I can always go farther on my bike when I'm with a friend or with a group. Yeah. Part of that is you can draft off each other. You know, you're using each other's energy, but the other part is like, you just have somebody who's encouraging you. For me, my own inner critic is like, okay, I've went long enough. It's time to go home. But when you're out there with other people, you have that accountability. Jim Rohn says that success is nothing more than a few simple disciplines practiced hmm. every day. And you've talked about, you know, your discipline of running and your discipline of eating. But when it comes to your total life. What are two or three things that are the disciplines that you do every day on a regular rhythm that keep you centered, that keep your life moving forward, that are pointing you really towards your future, your better self? So routine's really important for me. I eat the same thing for breakfast every day. I eat the same thing for lunch every day. I follow a very, very strict routine to sort of like optimize myself and the things that I, I yeah. spend time on. Part of my routine is journaling and daily gratitudes. I write those by hand so that I don't get distracted with uh, digital media. I find myself being very cynical by default. And so starting my day, filling myself up with the things I'm thankful for rather than the things I'm frustrated over is, uh, which is, by the way, again, for me, natural reaction would be my alarm is on my cell phone. And when I turn my alarm off, I've got all of humanity suffering at my fingertips, you know, right in my yeah. hand from the moment I wake up. And so an element of discipline is to try to turn that off, to turn off the news and to start the day with uh, journaling and gratitude and a quiet time, like a real true quiet time, which is something that's very yeah. different from me as a prolific consumer and creator of media, my attention is very divided. And so if I can start my day that way, I think it's very important. The other thing I've started doing recently to have influence with other people, I feel like I need to spend more time practicing influence at home. I'm trying to be very intentional, you know, at dinner time, having a family meal together, sitting undistracted around the table, looking at each other, uh, not at the bar top where we're all staring off into space, not with the TV on, not with a device in our hands, but like being there and connecting with each other. And so we've created routine around asking every person at the table, like what was the best part of your day and the worst part of your day? And how did you react to that? And then we have a devotion after dinner. I think those two kind of bookending my day in that way really helps me sort of transition into work with a better 
better attitude and have a more positive approach to the leadership and the teams that I'm on in my work context. Leaving that and kind of going into gratitudes around what you were thankful for during the day and devotions also helps me bridge into my home life in a much more positive way. Yeah. I feel like I'm less reactive to the things that happen in my day and let those things dictate how I treat my family and how I uh, influence my family. I'm reading the book, The 5 A.M. Club by mm. uh, Robin Sharma. He talks about the 5 a.m. hour being the victory hour. And a lot of things you said there about routine, you know, mm-hmm. people who are highly successful, people who are highly influential, people who are leaving a legacy with their families and their kids are people who are really highly routine and highly structured in their life. Circling back to the beginning of your story, when you were 334 pounds, you weren't probably highly routine. There was <laughs> not a lot of structure in your life. The discipline of not just losing weight, but all those things played together to, to really recraft who you are as a person. It's not just that you've had this amazing physical transformation, but you as a leader have transformed the way you live life, which is really powerful. I want to ask you this question. So there's a lot of people who may be listening to this who have tried to lose weight, who have tried to change their life, who have tried to transform themselves, and they keep missing the mark or they they fail and they're discouraged. So if you were to be able to tell people two or three things just to encourage them, if you could go back now and talk to your 334-pound self, what are two or three things that you would say just to encourage people who may be struggling with that kind of transformation of their life? There's a couple things that come immediately to mind. The first is if you are worried, you're living in the future. And if you are full of regret or depressed, you're living in the past. Wow. I believe that everything that we experience in our life happens in the right now. Mm. I would say to 334 pound Philip Jackson, like do what you can with what you have where you are, like right now. That's not going to happen in the future. You can't plan for the Philip of three days from now or, you know, on Monday morning when you're going to start your new diet. Like it has to start right now. And then I think it's it's just a daily recommitment. I, this is a you know something I picked up in Alan on. Just keep showing up. You're not going to do everything right all the time. And even when you fail, it doesn't mean that you're a failure. Even if you like quit once, like it doesn't mean you're a quitter. Yeah. I, I think we we tend to believe those lies about ourselves. I would negatively really reinforce it to myself that I've failed, so therefore I'm a failure. To fail is to be human. Like we we learn from our yeah. failures, not necessarily our successes. And so just keep showing up. James Clear kind of has some like tricks yeah. that you can do to sort of hack your own self, like put on your gym clothes and your tennis shoes to kind of break yourself out of the rut. You're much more likely to go for a run if yeah. you're wearing the clothes that a runner wears than you are if you're wearing... I think he calls it the two-minute right, two yeah. rule. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I think that those are sort of bags of tricks that people like to hone in on those kinds of things. I think it just kind of starts with making a decision that you don't have to wait. You, yeah. you don't have to wait for some future point and you don't have to live in whatever you used to be or what the past is. Like you only literally like have right now. As you were saying that about failure, one of my favorite quotes about failure is that failure is a bruise, not a tattoo. Mm. And so many times people feel like they blow it or they fail and it's like this stamp that can never get away, but it's just a bruise. And if you realize that you can move forward. Phil, this has been amazing. I wanted to share this quote with you. Success is never owned. It's only rented and the rent is due every day. And I just want to say that it's been amazing to watch your journey and your transformation and you truly are paying the rent every day. You're going after it. I'm a huge fan and champion of of what you're doing and and not just in your personal transformation, but in leadership and watching your journey. So 
If listeners want to learn more about you, where would you send them online? I, as much as I try not to be on social media, I do a lot of work on social media. So yeah. you could follow me at Phil Winkle on Twitter and uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. I, I share a lot of what I work on on LinkedIn. I also run a couple podcasts. Yeah. If you'd like to tune into something that's probably you know a little more esoteric and heady than uh, you're used to. I run a podcast called Future Commerce, where we talk about a modern company treating customers with uh, in a more equitable way. Uh, and you can get that at futurecommerce.fm. Awesome. I'll put those in the show notes and I'll also put a definition for, for what esoteric <laughs> means. Bill, thanks so much, man. Really appreciate you. And thanks for being on the show. Thanks, James. Thank you, Philip, for such great insight. Such great wisdom and takeaways. It's really awesome to see the way you've transformed your life. James, you mentioned that Phil didn't use any gimmicks or special diets. I remember watching on social media him just melting the pounds off and transforming into a different person. So I direct messaged him to ask, how is it that you're losing all this weight? The question was for a friend, of course, not for me. Friend in air quotes. Yes, exactly. He simply replied back, C-I-C-O. I was like, ooh, what's this new diet? I was at least smart enough to Google it before I asked him what it was about. And it is pretty simple. Calories in, calories out. Yeah. Uh, I was really wanting something a little bit more easy than that. Unfortunately, not everyone can do simple, daily, mundane tasks over time to get the results Phil has. But he is an inspiration for sure. Yeah. Who would know that such a simple principle could have such profound results? Well, as we wrap up another episode of this podcast, we want to make sure that you know how thankful we are for taking the time to listen. We would love it if you would help us get the word out about the podcast. The easiest way you can do this is by simply sharing this episode with someone you think would benefit from listening. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Live Lead Last Podcast to get updates on new releases of the show. And if you would like to take a minute to subscribe, rate, or review the podcast, it would be so great. That way you can help us get the word out about the show. So next week we have good friends, Greg and Julie Gorman on the show. They are amazing people who will download a load of wisdom and insight. So we hope you will join us next Monday for that conversation. Yeah, we love the Gormans and what they are doing in both the executive leadership and marriage leadership spheres. It's going to be a really good episode. But until next week, we want to encourage you to live your life and leverage your influence in such a way that your impact will last and make a difference today and leave a legacy for tomorrow. Until next week, bye-bye.